supply chain challenges, you've got increasing competition, increasing supply, and the future is, is pretty much unknown. We don't want to automate just to say that we did. The reason we do it is to really increase our bottom line. The better technology you have, the easier your life is, which I guess we could say about a lot of things. Welcome to another episode of Weed Buds Radio. I'm your host, Rye, and today I'm really excited because you might see a familiar face, a guest we've had on before. Ryan Douglas was on to talk about his book, C2 Success, and I'm guessing it was a success because we're here to talk about his next book, Secrets to Maximizing Profits in the Cannabis Industry, a contemporary and pragmatic tips for improving your cultivation business. And that is something that as a retailer, I know I'm very curious about because if the cultivators can become more efficient and more pragmatic, then our prices go down. And if our prices go down, then you, the consumer, will hopefully be able to pay a better price at the dispensary. So we're going to hit Ryan with some hard questions today. But before we do that, I want to just ask you, Ryan, you know, just for those that haven't checked out Seed to Success yet, can you hit us with a quick kind of summary, if you will, of uh, what you got into in that book before we talk about kind of the, the next step, if you will? Yeah, of course. And uh, thanks for having me on again, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So, we appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, about a year and a half ago, I published From Seed to Success, and essentially it's a manual for launching licensed cultivation startups. And so that's geared towards anybody from any industry uh, that's interested in participating in the cannabis industry industry through cultivation. And so it's essentially a manual, kind of a step-by-step -step guide on how you go through the most uh, important parts of launching a cultivation business. And so having kind of covered the basis of startups, uh, what I wanted to do was publish something on um, uh, guaranteeing profitability. How can companies really thrive and survive now that they've launched their business? And we're kind of in an industry where there's plenty of challenges. You've got supply chain challenges. You've got, <clears throat> uh, in some places, increasing competition, uh, increasing supply. And the future is is pretty much unknown. So the question is, you know, how now that I have a cultivation business, how can I guarantee that it's profitable, you know, for the near future? And so what I wanted to do was kind of create a more direct, more succinct way of getting some information to readers instead of writing a 285 page book. Uh, this ebook is more like 30 pages. And so I've just chosen a handful of topics that seem to come up repeatedly when I speak to groups, when I speak to cultivation business owners about the challenges and concerns they have on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's why I chose to uh, publish this new ebook. I wouldn't call it spark notes because there's so much value in there, but the way that you describe it, it's very succinct. And for somebody like me who gets overwhelmed with big words and lots of pages, it made a lot of sense. And there was a lot of principles in there that somebody who is not skilled in cultivation like myself, was able to see, and there's enough detail in there, you can kind of see how one thing impacts another. Uh, so I wanted to mention that, like, it is just a perfect way to kind of get into the weeds of things without being overwhelmed. Yeah, and that's the idea, really. Um, 
you know, like I mentioned, there's three or four points that I cover in the book and they come up repeatedly when I speak with clients. So, you know, no, no point in trying to fluff up a book to make it bigger. Let's just get right to the point. And, and that was the goal. I appreciate that. And we talked a little bit prior to the show and earlier uh, that you kind of helped push me when you launched Seed to Success. I was working on a book about my experience with the Saco Drive-In Movie Theater. And it was something that was kind of, I guess, perking in my mind for a while. But I was like, man, there's all these amazing authors in the cannabis space. And I'm not going to be a good cannabis author unless I practice. And I really don't have a lot of expertise, you know, other than, you know, podcasting and studying the experts. So, you know, I need to practice, kind of get that muscle going. And so I wrote a book called uh, Relic to Icon about saving the drive-in. But I'll tell you, it was a workout as we discussed, like every 5,000 words was like, well, okay, well, this is it. And sometimes I felt like I was writing for the sake of writing. And I didn't like that. I really, I like business books that are to the point. And so, you know, it was kind of a hard balance between, you know, what I'm being told it should be in length versus what I think is value to the consumer. Um, and so this is just a great um, kind of add on to see to success, you know, kind of taking those fundamentals of great, you're here, uh, or you need to get here. Uh, and this is how you do it. And now that you're here, let's talk about how you dial some of that stuff in. And that kind of leads me to my next question, because I love innovation. And I love innovation, specifically in this space, I've seen just where soil to hydroponics uh, to some of the kind of, I don't know what they're called, the aeroponics, uh, yeah. you know, that I've seen. Yeah. So there's so many different things. And so I'm curious, you know, just in the last year or two, you know, what's some of the technology and innovation that you're finding interesting in the cultivation space? Yeah. So, so what we want to look at is, I mean, I'm a big proponent, proponent for technological innovation and automation, but when we're talking about maintaining profitability, we don't want to automate just to say that we did. The reason we do it is to really increase our bottom line. So we're either producing more or we're increasing the quality of what we produce or we're producing it for less. And so when we look at new technology or new automation, we want to make sure that it hits one of those three items because otherwise it might not be an appropriate expense expenditure for some of these cultivation businesses. And so that's why in my new book, uh, there's one chapter that covers new technology. And the goal is really to present this technology that can help growers reduce their cost of production. And so uh, just briefly, I can mention a couple. The first, even though it's not new technology, uh, it's becoming more and more popular with cannabis growers and for good reason, and that's tissue culture propagation. So I can't tell you how many times I've uh, walked through a cultivation facility that was state-of-the-art, but right away they had insect or disease problems on their crop. And if you're starting fresh, you're starting new, really in any industry, you shouldn't have problems for a while. But there's nothing worse than dropping 10 or $12 million on a cultivation facility, staffing the thing, and you start running it, but you acquire essentially dirty genetics. And even if the person has the best intentions of providing you with really high quality genetics, Unless these are propagated inside of a lab and the process of propagation is sterile, 
they can't guarantee you that what you're receiving are completely clean starter plants. And so what happens is essentially every insect and disease infestation any grower has ever encountered, nine times out of 10 comes from infected cuttings or infected plants. And so wow. that's cannabis growers have always had to deal with insects, but since more and more states and countries are legalizing cannabis, you have more greenhouse production, you have more outdoor production. Not only do you have the traditional insects and disease we need to battle with, you have new diseases and insects that are jumping from traditional crops to cannabis and hemp. And so, especially for greenhouse growers and indoor growers, outdoor growers, um, a lot of that is up to mother nature. We really don't have much control at all. But indoors and greenhouse, we do. And so what you have is more and more growers turning to these tissue culture companies and what they're doing is outsourcing propagation. So for anyone listening, propagation is essentially cloning or taking cuttings. So traditionally companies keep stock plants from other plants. Every so often they take cuttings, they root them, and now they have a genetic, a genetically identical plant to the mother plant. So you can imagine if you took a hundred cuttings, now you can fill a grow room with a hundred uh, similar plants to that mother plant. And that's how we that's how we establish kind of a constant harvest schedule. The risk is multiple. One is that the longer a plant stays in production, the more likely it is that it gets something. And if we're propagating plants that are infected, uh, inevitably this uh, pathogen will show up in production in the flowering space. So you risk um, contaminating the crop, but you also risk contaminating the entire facility. Um, but also not every grow team is excellent at rooting cuttings. So whether you're taking 10 cuttings or 10,000 cuttings, generally we try to shoot for 80% or more should root, right? So some just won't root, some are gonna die off, some will dry out. So <clears throat> you determine what you what you need and, and you uh, take more cuttings than you need. So if you have 20% dieback, you still hit your numbers. But not every grower, not every cultivation team is good at taking cuttings. And the problem is, in these production facilities where you have a very tight production schedule, if you are short, you basically have to go into production with half empty rooms. Or if we wait and take more cuttings and, and wait until they root, now, you, now you're looking at production bottlenecks, which is just as bad. So the reason people are going more and more towards tissue culture and the reason more tissue culture companies are starting to cater towards cannabis is one, these growers can outsource propagation entirely. They don't need to hold on to stock plants. They don't have to worry about uh, propagating and taking cuttings. And they can dedicate that space to flower production, which is really where the money is at when we talk about cannabis growing. But the, probably the biggest reason is that <clears throat> these companies will deliver hundreds or thousands of plantlets guaranteed disease-free to your doorstep on a set schedule. So it takes some planning at the beginning of the year, but you know, every Monday at 10 o'clock in the morning, you can expect uh, a FedEx delivery or a truck to pull up to your facility. And now you have rooted plantlets that you immediately put into production. And stuff happens during the course of a crop cycle, but at least you know you're starting 100% clean. And that's going to become more and more critical as growers face newer diseases and newer insect infestations uh, that we don't even have to worry about today. So tissue culture, I think, is one of the not necessarily a new advancement, but it's new for cannabis growers at least. And I'm sure the systems to which you preserve that is only going to get better and improve over time as well. 
You mean how these companies preserve their genetics, how they hold on yeah. to them? Yeah. And I guess another, well, yes. And in terms of like you were saying, you know, 80% in terms of, you know, rooting on your own and such like that. So I'm sure like they must have systems in play, right, where you can kind of get closer to a, maybe a 90 or a 93%. Uh, exactly. So, I mean, so even inside of a lab, everything isn't perfect. So naturally, they're going to duplicate more plants than you need. So you okay. so they can guarantee that they're going to deliver the numbers that you need. But it's also a long process. If there's one, well, it's not really a disadvantage, but I mean, taking a cutting and rooting it at home would take about two weeks. In a tissue culture lab, the process can take 90 days, but that's not a big deal as long as you're scheduling production accordingly. But you, yeah. you had mentioned... Sorry, you had mentioned something about preservation, which is what I thought you were getting at, but I think I was wrong. But this is really interesting. Regardless, yeah, please. Is that <clears throat> growers typically want to hold on to a lot of different genetics, even if they're only growing a few and selling a few. They've got stuff that's special to them, stuff they want to breed within the future, stuff that might be special to other people. And so they end up holding on to these plants that aren't in production. And inevitably what happens is they, they get attacked by something, a disease or insect. Sure. And so another benefit of tissue culture companies is they actually can store genetics for you and they do it in a form where it takes up hardly any space at all, right? They're essentially, uh, they're essentially freezing these or getting them as close to freezing as possible and they just halt, they halt the life cycle. And it's almost like a genetic library. But in six months, if you decide that in nine months you want to bring the bubble kush back into production, you tell this tissue culture company, they'll take it out of storage, they'll start producing it and growing it. And again, it's guaranteed disease free. You don't have the hassle of it. And all you're doing is giving these folks a date. I need a thousand bubble kush cuttings on September 1st. And if you've done that far enough ahead of time and you're working with a competent uh, propagator, it's a done deal. Can you transport that right now legally? Is that different than like transporting clones across state lines? So that's an excellent point. Some companies will not ship out of state. So there's some large, very competent uh, propagators that I would love to refer to clients I work with, but these folks will not ship outside of state. Others will, and they do that under the guise of hemp. So they have a hemp license. And if you think about it, it's completely legal when you think about what is the definition of hemp. It's that less than 0.3% THC of dried weight. And right. so a plantlet, even if this is like a 35% THC flower once it's harvested, a plantlet, once it's dried, is going to have almost a negligible amount of THC, if any. So in theory, it's hemp. If it's tested in a lab, it's hemp. So these companies that do ship out of state are doing it under a hemp license. Like everything else in cannabis, everything fluctuates. It's kind of a gray market. So fortunately, in more but mature that's markets, yeah, if you think Michigan, Colorado, California, within those states, there's propagators. In Maine, uh, they're slowly coming online. So we've got a few options in Maine and Massachusetts as well. And that's going to happen over the next few years across the U.S. As states, more and more states legalize, as those markets mature, you're going to see more tissue culture companies pop up that that service cannabis only because these other companies that have been uh, propagating uh, agricultural crops for decades, a lot of them won't touch cannabis and you can understand why. Absolutely. So one question I had was in terms of like the standard cloning process, is there a concern for dilution 
of, you know, that kind of starter plan or that mother plan, whatever that is referred to as, can, you know, can that be kind of trimmed off of for eternity? Is there an expiration to that? Um, I guess I, you know, as again, as a retailer, I'm just so kind of fascinated and uh, ignorant, I suppose, to, you know, how that works. So there's opinions on both sides of the aisle. And honestly, I'm not even sure where I land on that because you have growers that say, uh, you know, you've got growers that have held on to the same genetic material for years, sometimes decades. And some people will say that there's something that's called genetic drift, that the more you propagate the plant, the more it drifts away from the original characteristics. And you've got other folks that are taking cuttings from the same plant for years, and they say it's the same, if not better. So in my experience, I haven't seen, I think the biggest risk is that what you can have occasionally are mutations. It's not genetic drift. It's just a sport or a mutation. And that could create something that's genetically different from the mother plant. But in my experience, and granted, I haven't been growing for 40 years, but uh, I've been in cannabis for approaching 10 years. And so I haven't seen it myself. But, you know, the second I say that there'll be 10 other growers that will contest what I say and say, you know, that absolutely there's a difference. So hot topic, but I, I can't give you a, a solid answer either way. And before we wrap up, I probably have another hot question for you, but I'm curious because on the retail side, I know systems like metric. We, all of our sales transactions goes into metric. We finalize those uh, transfers from our vendors, the cultivators, the processors that comes to us. We receive them for us metrics, a minimal hassle. Uh, do you, so can you help uh, myself and some of the other retailers maybe have a little empathy uh, on the cultivation side on what really goes into the kind of track and trace program? Because I, I, I hear it's a lot, um, but, you know, when it's four buttons for us, it's hard to empathize. Yeah, so it can get tricky because as growers, we need to track plant material from the get-go, even from the initial cutting of the stock plant. And if there's any problems or if any plants for whatever reason don't make it, we need to be very clear about removing those from inventory and being specific about why those were removed from inventory. So on the growing side, the better technology you have, the easier your life is, which I guess we could say about a lot of things. But I've worked in facilities where we were using barcodes and traditional barcode scanners, and those labels would get wet after a couple of weeks with uh, soil and irrigation, and then it would be hard to read. And sometimes standing inside these big facilities, there's so much equipment, the Wi-Fi signal isn't that great. So then the scanner isn't reading and you're running around the grow room trying to get a signal, trying to read a barcode that isn't clear in the first place. And it's a real headache. But with RFID tags, uh, life can be a lot easier. Now, the infrastructure uh, is a little bit more expensive. But what it allows you to do essentially is instead of a barcode, it's like a mini computer chip inside of a tag on each plant. And so you could literally walk into a grow room with this handheld RFID scanner do a scan of the room, and within seconds, you've inventoried literally hundreds of plants if you're within range. Now, uh, a step up from that would actually be mounted stationary readers throughout the greenhouse or production facility. So you're no longer scanning. What happens is automatically, once these plants move into or out of a grow room, they're automatically uh, recorded. Their movement is recorded. Some facilities wow. take it a step higher than that and connect the RFID 
tag readers to the cameras. So you could call up a certain idea of a plant and you could either visually or on the computer literally see its movement throughout the production facility for the entire crop cycle. And the goal here is one, to minimize labor. So you're not running around trying to get signal to read bar barcodes, but you're also complying with the state and that you know where everything is at any moment. And should you have an un unannounced audit, uh, you can answer these folks' questions. You can tell what you have, where, where it was, who moved it, all of that. Do I want to know how much a system like that costs? I don't even know how much it costs. <laughs> no, I don't have that number off the top of my head. But I mean, this is technology in other industries, so it's not necessarily prohibitively expensive. Perhaps given the size of the production facility, it might be more of an appropriate recommendation for others than maybe than maybe you know craft growers that might not be so critical. That makes sense. So, Ryan, my last hot button question for you, and this was a debate all morning. So there's there's a lot riding on this question. So the question was, in regards to trimming, is it? And I don't want to I don't want to word this with any bias. So I'm trying to think of how the fight went down and think of the the most unbiased way to ask this. In regards to trimming. Is there a preference? I guess it's two parts. Is there a preference to trimming when it's the flowers cured or when the flower is fresh? And if there is a preference, is there a preference that is cost preferred to the cultivator? Uh, versus is there a preference on the consumer side? So, you know, is there one way to do it where the consumer's happier? Is one way better because the cultivator thinks it's cheaper? Or is there just a flat, this is the best way to do it, all the pressure is on you? So in terms of quality, I think the best cannabis flower is produced when you cut the plant and you hang it dry and then you trim it by hand. Or you mentioned curing. Some people cut the plant, they dry it, they cure it, and then they do the final trim by hand. But regardless of which combination, in my experience and in my opinion, because I've done it several ways, we dry the plant first and then we trim it by hand. Best quality is that one. Now, not every cannabis production facility can afford that because if you're, here's the, here's the number we want to work with. One employee trims about a pound of dried cannabis flower in an eight-hour shift. Okay. If you have a small outfit, that means you and your buddies and maybe your mom for a couple of days, and you take care of it. If you're running a big facility, you need to either hire the entire town or we need to automate the process. So that doesn't mean that if we can't afford to do it by hand, we're just going to grow crop. My recommendation is that we still dry the plant first, and then we use an automated trim machine that is built for handling dried cannabis flower. Is there a difference between dry and cured? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. It's essentially cured is a more elongated uh, period of drying. So, uh, so what do we consider dry? Oftentimes that's determined by a lab. It's determined by the moisture content inside of a flower. And so that range is roughly 9 to 13% moisture. And so 
once your plant dries down to the point where it's 9 to 13% moisture, you can package it and sell it. If you smoke the flower, it'll burn easily in that stage. Now curing, we could do that for a few more weeks or a few more months. And so it's essentially, um, it's you're drying it out a little bit more, but it has more to do with the change of the chemistry of the plant that happens Are you running slowly. for governor? <laughs> no, no, I don't think I'd want that job. <laughs> that seems like a very diplomatic answer. And if I was saying it's it's dried, it's not necessarily fresh, but it's not necessarily cured. It's kind of in the middle. Right. Think about curing almost as degradation, but in a good way. The flower okay. degrades into slightly different um, chemical structure, but it's to our benefit. Okay. It improves the flavor, the aroma. Sometimes the color changes as well, but you really reach a point where uh, the process should stop because it's like anything. If you hold on to it too long, it's going to go bad. So you really wouldn't want to cure anything longer than six months. And as a grower, I don't know if you had some amazing flower, how you could just sit there and look at it for six months without consuming it. But yeah, that's very true. <laughs> that would be a challenge. Well, I will see if that answer uh, suffices the debate uh, here with the team. Uh, but I greatly appreciate it, Ryan. It is an incredible pleasure. And now that you're uh, home base, not too far from me, we're going to have to grab lunch soon. Uh, the the I can't believe that the last time we talked was, I think, right when the pandemic was you know, really a really a thing. That sounds uh, right. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's just amazing to kind of follow everybody's journey. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Awesome. And thank you all for tuning in with another episode of Weed Buds Radio. We'll catch you in the next show.